Welcome to Page It to the Limit, a podcast where we explore what it takes to run software and production successfully. We cover leading practices used in the software industry to improve both system reliability and the lives of the people supporting those systems. I'm your host, Quintessence, or Quintessence Ops on Twitter. Today, we'll be talking about DevSecOps from the perspective of development and operations. We are joined by our guest, Patrick Debois, currently the Director of Market Strategy at Sneak and author of the DevOps Handbook. Thank you for joining us today and welcome to the show. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, you know, long time Pager Duty fan, so glad to be here. Awesome. And before we get started, can you tell us a little bit about your experience with DevSecOps and security? So my experience with DevOps is a little bit different from most of the people because I was 10 years ago already kind of like researching and, and exploring it with other people. My journey to DevSecOps, I came to it more because I saw it having attention and having a similar kind of problem set that I saw 10 years ago with DevOps. It made me an interesting thing to see, is, is, is there like a pattern repeating, but just with different players in the organization that like want to come along? And that's how you know, I got interested and then also joined Sneak. And then, you know, from a security perspective, I could like learn how security now has an issue where in the past ops had the issue, which you know we still have, but you know, <laughs> we, we tend to believe we, we we fixed it and now security comes along. So, you know, that's a little bit my journey. Although I have like followed a few of the security courses and certificates in the past, like the SANS and the firewall. I, you know, I, I used to run all that stuff too. But I haven't been in a, how do you say that, like a security silo <laughs> uh, in yeah. my life where I was like, my, the whole purpose of the team was security. I haven't done that. So it was always there as a team within the operational side and on the coding side to help the operational side. But you know, not for me personally, not on the security side only. Gotcha. And while you've been going through all of this with the new perspectives you've been getting, what are some myths and misconceptions you've encountered? It, it's interesting that the narrative gets repeated. We want to believe that it's culture, but then we talk all about, you know, here's tools to get you bootstrapped. Um, <laughs> so that's, it's not a myth. It's just a repeating pattern. And then the other one is, well, DevSecOps doesn't work for us. It's the same kind of rejection that DevOps has had over the past. Like, it's not for us. And then all of a sudden, after ten years, everybody from the big bank to the you know the startup is doing it. DevSecOps will you know eventually kind of get a, a similar thing. The resistance and the pain, yeah, we were blockers. Security, yes, ops was blocker. We can't stop the developer, no, uh, and and kind of like this whole nav- narrative. It is interesting in in a way that I see a difference between companies having done a DevOps journey. And then going on a DevSecOps journey. And there's others who use the DevSecOps term as an excuse to actually start their DevOps journey. So it's not always that you already have the DevOps practices in place. When you think about DevSecOps, if security is your main concern, it might have been that you know your DevOps automation and collaboration hasn't been there yet. But the pressure point has now come on the security side in those companies. So it's a little bit of a variation of the team, I guess. So out of curiosity in that case, it sounds like these are companies that didn't yet have a DevOps transformation that now are going to do 
kind of immediately a DevSecOps transformation. Is that kind of what you're saying? Correct. Yeah. And so they were discovering both the SDLC automation metrics and the security at the same time, which is a real fire hose for them at that time. So. <laughs> I was going to ask if if there's any difference between, I'm sure there is, but if there's any difference between those who kind of staged it and did dev, then ops, then DevOps, then DevSecOps versus people who jumped immediately into DevSecOps, if it's more painful or less or? Well, they, they seem to be going similar paths uh, in a way that I always talk about this, that DevOps was a bottleneck, but it's not the only bottleneck that can exist in a company. It could be maybe not in your pipeline or delivery. It could be in your hiring process. It could be anywhere else. And maybe they didn't feel it in the delivery side, but the companies felt it really hard in the security side. So, But they will probably benefit from all the automation and the metrics and the monitoring in place to do a better job at DevSecOps. But then again, I, I sometimes make the joke, you don't need all the automation to do DevOps in a way that if the collaboration is good and you automate it just enough, because that's the danger of DevOps that we've been over automating and it's become like a, a thing on itself to keep automating and keep automating uh, and losing sight of the costs and the benefits uh, trade-off. Then that is, you know, security can be done without certain tooling as well. And I think it was like John Alspo puts it best uh, in an example. You know, if you ask an engineer, if you're away for 50 minutes, will your system still be working? And it was like, yeah, of course. If you go away a day, will it still be working? Probably. Let's hope so. If you go away for a month, oh, yeah, I don't know if it can survive a month without me. It, and, and the point is that it shows you that the humans are still an important factor whatever we're doing at a tooling. And I also see that happening if the automation fails, sometimes people don't know what to do. <laughs> True. And, and then that means that the person who has built the automation, they understood what it was doing, much like programming, you know, you write the code and, you know, it makes sense while you're doing this. But then somebody else looks at this and is like, what? why were we doing this? Like, Remind me again, <laughs> and it's it's kind of like uh, you know going back and forward. So, but it just you know, my main point is that um, there's a lot you can do without putting all the tools and all the you know the tools free. It's just thinking about these things uh, in a, you know in a collaborative way, and that's still for me the most important part of DevOps. Uh, you know, if you look at the CAMS acronym, culture, automation, measurement, and sharing, I, I sometimes say see the culture is collaboration. And I think that part is still, you know, for me, the most valid. It's not the easiest though. So, you know, that's why we might go to automation because we don't have to talk to other people. <laughs> true, true. And kind of tying in those concepts. So we have a secure delivery pipeline, let's say. What we have probably the security folks or SecOps that kind of know why things need to be implemented. Somebody else who might be actually building it. So you kind of have a division of skill and labor. What are some common gaps and what are some good ways to bridge them that you see when people are trying to build a secure pipeline? Mm -hmm. Coming back to the parallel of DevOps, in the early days, a lot was about making the pain visible. And so we started getting a little bit better dashboards and manager uh, management tools of showing you know, when systems went down and what happened at a certain point. So, so we, that happened uh, and make it more a little bit more tangible. 
in security that usually what I see is that the security folks, they hint to the developers, for example, or the ops people of what might be an issue, or they say what is an issue. So the first thing is like broadcast, what is the pain? We're broadcasting to the other person. And then maybe it's the nagging, maybe it's the interest, you know, that the other group says like, hey, maybe we should do something about this. Like, there's, there's something going on. We don't understand it. And kind of like, what, what's going here and what we can do to, to make this better? They got annoyed about the frustrations, about the builds being blocked, about the delivery being blocked. And, and they kind of get this conversational thing going. And then the next phase is usually security f- zooms in, maybe on the biggest pain, uh, similar to ops. Like, where's your pain? Is it version control? Is it the script? Is it the cloud? Is it, you know, we, we kind of like try to find our bottleneck uh, that brings us the most value and is, a, is an easy win. And sometimes that, you know, that's library scanning. Sometimes that's configuration. Sometimes that's the top CVE list or OWASP training that the developers need. And, and you start like picking the easy ones uh, and, and kind of like feed that into potentially a team that becomes aware of this, that might act on this, and then you hope they pick it up. There's certainly another threat, which was very similar again to ops, which is the expedite threat. <laughs> we have something happening in production. We need this fixed now. Please do this. Drop everything else. Well, we, we didn't have very good you know, experiences with that model being forced on us, but still it's another way of at least... If you have too many incidents, if you have too many problems, it's an indicator that something is going on. The force model is not the preferred one, but if your company is not yet savvy enough or is just scratching the surface of security, off of ops, sometimes it makes sense for somebody more knowledgeable to step in and just say, go left, go right, do this. I don't expect you to understand everything, but kind of this bootstrapping is is kind of like where where you need to go. I don't know if that you no, know, that's the start of the journey. There's there's probably like right. a lot more after, but this kind of like initial ping pong, you know, sin act, sin act <laughs> kind of going on yeah. between the two groups, uh, that kind of makes sense there. So And for the developers, there's a lot, I guess, that would need to be done because you're gonna be asking them to do at least certain things that are gonna be a little bit outside of their areas of expertise, right? You do parts in the pipeline or things that they just kind of need to do and submit and whatever. So what are the best ways to get them the most knowledgeable or in the good enough place to be able to do these things in a efficient way and, in a, and from a place of understanding? From what I've seen, people have tried different ways. Much like Agile, security teams have tried to find a champion in a team that like has just you know an interest to that. And Pride Proxy hopes that the team picks this up and kind of spreads the love because of the, the closer connection uh, with that person. Another thread that I see, if you show developers how easy things get hacked, and that's more, again, of a, an awareness thing, then it's like, oh, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, I'm sorry my code did this. You know, at least if the, you know, <laughs> you're proud of your code and we're going to do better. If not, you have a different problem. But So that's kind of like opening the eyes of what can be done, how easy it can be done to do that. And then there's another thread, which is when your team reaches a certain maturity level of 
also operating the software itself. So they, they truly go in this hybrid mode of dev and ops and the same team is you, you build it, you run it. They kind of start to feel the pain when things go south in production. So that gets them kind of like, oh, we need to do this. We're proud that we have the uptime. We want this to be running. And those are kind of like three threats that I, I see influencing the motivation. Is it enough? You know, I, I can't tell, but it, it's definitely three threats that I see happening over and over again in teams kind of like looking at security. And there's obviously always somebody who's like, you know, I want to go completely immersed in security, <laughs> give everything to me. But what's interesting is that the developer teams are getting a lot of tasks. <laughs> you know, they have to operate things now, they have to secure things, then they have to think about the finance, and then they you know, have to talk to the business. And, you know, that puts a lot of pressure on the team. If you look at it from the perspective that a developer should do everything, if you just look at if your team is balanced between multiple kind of like more focused people working together, like somebody's focusing on the ops, somebody on the security, somebody on the developer, then it's more like collaboration within the team. And then that burden of cognitive load kind of gets spread, but it isn't overspread. Uh, and each of them learns, like the security people often have to learn what it is to deploy an application, to make it, to do the coding, to do the feature, to be in the rat race of delivering features <laughs> and not just saying no. So so everybody has to learn this little bit of, you know, what, you know, we often say it like empathy between the different pain points we have, but it doesn't mean we all have to do it at the same time and we all have to have the knowledge. But it helps kind of, you know, the more affinity you have, the more you understand, obviously, the more you can prevent. But uh, I sometimes pity the role of the developers these days uh, on the pressure the companies are putting on them. So, Yeah, it does seem like in that case, they're kind of caught in the middle. And going around to the empathy, I know that one of the things that, that we like to say is it can help to have security own a product or a service that's in production. That makes sense, right? So Vault or equivalent of some something like that, that is security relevant that they can run so that they can say, oh, this is what the development and ops teams are roughly doing or this is how I talk to them. And kind of with that mindset, what are some things, you know, to increase awareness? And we talked about training a little bit to really increase awareness in a way that doesn't make them feel like they're going to have to become security experts, just again, increasing what do I know and how can I apply it? I know this is the lamest answer ever, but it, it all boils down to trust. <laughs> oh, okay. You know, the, the book called Team Topologies, uh, there's a website called the DevOps Topologies. And they talk about different ways to organize your security or operational side, whether it's embedded in the team, whether it's outside your team, whether, you know, it's a hybrid mode, sometimes in, sometimes out. I, I started taking the belief that that pattern, it could show you that you have a problem, but a pattern itself isn't a problem. If I trust my security team completely, they could be in a different group. I don't care. Yeah. As long as they help me all the time, they give me feedback, you know, kind of that way, it doesn't matter too much. But that trust must be earned by them. And I, I often say it quite similar about DevOps. Operations was having a bad rep at always saying no. But in essence, nothing was stopping them from collaborating. So it wasn't that 
that were in a different silo <laughs> that was actually holding them back. It was more of a mentality shift on being more customer-centric, being more focused on what others want than what you want yourself. I know people have been de uh, uh, deploying the concept of platform teams where it's like an abstraction layer in a way that, you know, it kind of like help the other teams. But people often put it hierarchical. You know, they think about the technical stack kind of building on top of that. But I think the, the more interesting model, if you start, just start seeing them as other teams that are doing the security feature or are doing the build feature, and, and then it becomes more not being hierarchical or how it's just like a collaboration between different teams. And whether you're writing the authentication code for your software or something else, you know, you're going to focus. Obviously, you know, there's pro and cons on microservices and teams kind of focusing because you can't escape complexity. You know, it comes back because then nobody understands the whole system anymore. <laughs> and then there's a team caring about the whole system and trying to make everybody collaborate across the, the system. But that's kind of like the way I, how I see this, uh, you know, collaboration uh, improve. So, And that kind of got me thinking a little bit about, you know, wrapping into, I mean, I'm, I know we're focusing on understanding, but compliance as well. So when you're implementing things, sometimes it's, oh, this is, quote unquote, the best way to solve this problem. But sometimes you need to make other decisions because you have certain compliance requirements, big names that people recognize, right? GDPR, HIPAA, et cetera. So when we're talking about compliance requirements, how aware of compliance requirements do devs need to be versus how much is going to kind of remain in the wheelhouse of security in terms of awareness and specialization? Yeah, so I, I don't think this will land completely in the developer or, or let's say the team kind of realm. But similar to we talked about across skills, right? Across uh, you know, operational security and so on. If they understand enough why they do something, then that's fine. They don't need to be doing the whole audit and kind of like understand all the benchmarks in the industry and compare them. But if they, they trust the other group and, and you, they find like, oh, you need this, how can I help you? Uh, and you have this, maybe, you know, the relationship is 5%, 95% security still, but the interface on the code is maybe where the translation is happening between what you know, the world of compliance needs and what the, the developer needs. Uh, shifting the whole thing in is like, again, like, you know, we sometimes think about the, was it like the full stack or the 100% stack? Then we're getting the, the 400 stack developer? I don't know <laughs> where, where this is going to end. It won't end well, so I can tell you. What, what's interesting, and it was uh, Mark Bergeset who made me aware of this, like a lot of it in DevSecOps, we, we, we hope that it, the collaboration becomes voluntary between the groups. Uh, it's not always the case. Sometimes, you know, we, we, we want to avoid being forcing uh, things on other groups. Uh, and in, in promise theory, it talks about agents and agents are making promises. But the idea of a promise is that a promise is allowed to fail. <laughs> and that is, if it's similar to the thinking about like uptime, we have to build the systems that stay up forever. No, no, we assume failure it can fail. And and it's the same thing with this collaboration thing. Like we, we, we want to get everybody to do better and so on, but we already have to assume that it will fail and maybe put some mitigations in place. And, and that is it's, uh, the, probably the first layer of defense that we can put there. Um, 
And maybe the, the last resort of defense is just, you know, throw money at it in case we, we can't do it or we buy it or something. But when you mentioned audits saying this is the best way you do things, there's one part that I think you left out. This is the best way we think you should do things the way we understand your context. And that is like a difference because a lot of these can't see your context in your company. And I, I don't want to argue that every company is, you know, special snowflake and you, you kind of do this, but there's always history. There's different people, there's different things happening. There's reasons why some things get more attention than the others. I, you know, I remember my first firewall audit and I was, you know, so annoyed when I heard with this, uh, like you said, like this, there's too many ports open. It's like, that is no argument. These are open for the business, right? And if you don't understand why we're opening these up, then, you know, don't audit me as a checkbox with the number of open ports. And and the same thing is with the, with the kind of audit. Uh, I'm not saying about, you know, public companies that have to do their best and so on. And, and it is, you know, not best practice, good practices, but good practices have context where they are good and maybe some contexts where they aren't good. And that negotiation is also a big part of a security job. It's kind of understanding, translating why we're not doing this, putting the exceptions, showing what was good. We learned that we can free up some of that time through automation. If you know part of the discovery, what's out there, how it's being done, we can just like present that. So we don't have to like collect those things in spreadsheets anymore, uh, which get outdated all the time. Uh, but the conversation is still kind of the most important one. It is similar to, you know, if you look at these audits like an SLA, like you need to comply by X time or something. I think, you know, when I was young, I saw SLAs as something you must, you know, there's there's no way around it or we're going to get hit with, you know, a penalty as big size or anything that. I think what I learned from the field is that these are good aspirations and I don't mean that you shouldn't go there, but quite often the thing is that if you're showing that you're improving, solves a lot of the discussion points. And you just have to show that you're doing well and you know acknowledge where you're not good and put mitigations in place. And that is quite often how I've seen SLA disputes being solved. It's just showing, can you show me you're doing better? Can you show me you're doing better? And the last resort is, you know, we're gonna send you a big, you know kind of invoice for uh, penalty lost. Uh, but usually there's humans that make it a little bit human, I guess. <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you so much for all of that. And for everyone else, you know, we're going to have links to some of the things that we've been discussing today in the show notes. So make sure you check those out. But before we head out, there are two things we like to ask every guest. Are you ready? <laughs> Go for it. What's one thing you wish you had known sooner about DevSecOps or security? Okay, how much time do I have? <laughs> <laughs> it's probably also the answer to that question, but <laughs> uh, no, I, I guess it's, um, I wish I would have experienced it myself. I don't know if that's the answer, but uh, to understand somebody's pain, it's best to have lived through it. So, And that makes absolute sense. And what is one thing that you're glad we did not ask you about? Uh, the spelling of DevOps. <laughs> uh, that's an easy way to get into a fight. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> You're welcome. And this is Quintessence wishing you an uneventful day. 
does it for another installment of Page It to the Limit. We'd like to thank our sponsor, PagerDuty, for making this podcast possible. Remember to subscribe to this podcast if you like what you've heard. You can find our show notes at pageittolimit.com, and you can reach us on Twitter at pageittolimit using the number two. That's pageittolimit with the number two. Let us know what you think of the show. Thank you so much for joining us. And remember, our eventful days are beautiful days. Hey!